This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on PodClips. Masters of Dispute Resolution is designed to provide those involved in the mediation process with the views of the most experienced and accomplished mediators and others experienced in the process. Through our discussions, you will gain insight into how to address and overcome difficult issues and achieve more satisfying results in mediation. Your host is Len Levy, mediator and arbitrator with ADR Services, Inc., a leading alternative dispute resolution provider. Lynn litigated complex cases for more than 30 years and has been a mediator since 1998 and is a member of the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. He has been recognized as a super lawyer in alternative dispute resolution each year since 2014. And now your host, Lynn Levy. Thank you, Daryl. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Masters of Dispute Resolution, a mini seminar which will add tools to your mediation toolbox. We are brought to you today by Lawyer Specific Insurance Brokerage, Inc., the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals, and ADR Services, Inc. Uh, In Masters of Dispute Resolution interviews during our first season, we talked with mediators who possess a high level of process expertise and, and who've shared that expertise with you with the idea of helping you become more effective, whatever your role is in the mediation process. Now, many of our guests, if not all, have specific subject matter expertise as well, uh, either acquired in their career as litigators, jurists, or developed as they mediate cases. In our second season of Masters of Dispute Resolution, we will be addressing unique skills and approaches in substantive areas as we explore the unique aspects of mediation, uh, which apply to disputes in which specialized knowledge can make a real difference. Now, at some point in every mediation, the thought occurs to everyone, I wonder what the other side is thinking. And when insurance is involved, as it almost always is these days, Uh, or in self-insured situations, uh, those calling the shots at a mediation are likely to be the insurance adjuster or claims administrator. We're very fortunate to have as our guest today, Glenn Barger, who will provide you with a behind the scenes view into the mind of the adjuster or, or administrator. Now, Glenn's accomplished career as a trial attorney and mediator has gained him recognition as a super lawyer and ranked him as one of the best lawyers in America. He's handled complex litigation in a variety of areas in numerous high value, multi-party litigation matters. Uh, Among the numerous areas in which Glenn has expertise are insurance litigation, bodily injury, professional liability, construction matters, and, and many more. Glenn is also a a past president of the Association of Southern California Defense Council, uh, a member of the Association of Defense Council of Northern California, a member of the the Claims and Litigation Management Alliance. He has been profiled as a speaker and panelist in numerous uh, industry-related events. Uh, In fact, I think that's where I first met Glenn. Um, And now Glenn is a full-time neutral on the ADR services panel to which he brings considerable expertise and has gained a reputation for his knowledge and preparation uh, and process skills. Uh, Glenn, welcome to Masters of Dispute Resolution. 
Thank you very much, Lennon. Thank you very much for that kind introduction. It's really my pleasure and honor to be here as part of this. And it's really great what you're doing and putting on this program. Um, getting neutrals to speak is, is helpful, not only to uh, the parties um, and the attorneys, um, but also other mediators as well. So this is really an excellent program. And again, I'm honored to be here. Thank you, Glenn. I, I'm honored to have you, absolutely. Um, now, you have an incredible background uh, in, in just multi-party litigation, uh, and you've represented um, and had interaction with numerous adjusters and other represent, uh, insurance representatives, uh, at both as a litigator and as uh, an, a mediator. Now, what do you think are the most common misconceptions people bring to a mediation about those representing insurance carriers? Well, that's an interesting question. And um, clearly from the plaintiff's perspective, they do battle with insurance companies or even just parties on the defense side day in and day out. And, and I certainly can sense the frustration level. And I think that frustration level even um, increased during the last couple of years with everything going on in the world. And there, I think it's just a general belief that insurance companies and the defense in general um, are looking to uh, avoid resolving these claims. Um, but I think the experienced attorneys and the ones who deal with insurance companies or again, just parties in general, um, appreciate that the defense actually likes to close files. They want to get cases off their books. They have to set reserves where they have to set aside certain amounts of money. Um, individual claims handlers have huge pendings these days and they're happy to close a file. And so um, I think it's important to recognize that um, the defense side does want to settle cases and it's just a matter of coming up with enough information for them so they can justify settling the case. And that's really the way I approach uh, mediation. Um, I try and look at it from the attorney perspective because I practiced for a good 30 years and I really try and uh, approach it as the attorney's case and their client's case, it's not mine. And I wanna work with both sides so that we can get to a number that will resolve the case and both sides actually can go away, if not happy, but at least content that the matter is resolved for a reasonable result. And I actually think um, on, from the plaintiff's perspective, um, they appreciate that I bring that knowledge as far as how the defense operates and insurance companies spe specifically, so they can work with me to get that information to the defense side and then get a number that works for them and they can settle the case and they don't have to go to trial. Now, you mentioned something, Glenn, that, that um, at least I picked up on, which was you're talking about individual claim handlers um, as, as and, and not as opposed to, but um, as a consideration. Uh, I've always thought, because I, I, I did come from a, a defense background as well, that the idea is 
to not think of the insurance company as a monolithic entity with whom you are negotiating uh, in a mediation, but think in terms of uh, the, the individual insurance handler has to consider. Uh, can you comment on that, please? Sure. And I think that's an important thing to think about. Um, the individual insurance hand handler has all sorts of obligations and rules and requirements and hoops and hurdles that they have to jump over in order to settle a case. Um, I always, um, when I was practicing and working with associates, would remind them, you need to report, and then when you're done reporting, you need to report again. And then after that report's done, get another report out to them with all the critical information. Because on the insurance claims handler side, they have to do reports, internal reports to their supervisors and to their supervisor supervisors. And a lot of times those reports um, get sent on to a reinsurer or an excess carrier or someone else. And so it's important to know those deadlines and important to know what they need if, again, from the plaintiff's perspective, you're trying to maximize the settlement. But, you know, a good example would be I, I had a case recently, just a simple uh, bodily injury auto accident case where there was admitted liability, not overly complex, and the uh, plaintiff's brief told me that there were five and six millimeter disc herniations in the neck at C5-6 and 6-7 and um, a surgery recommendation. But on when I read the defense brief, they had no information about the MRI, which showed those herniations and actually indicated that it was a soft tissue case with no herniations and no future care required. And clearly that information had not got to the defense counsel. And then it was clear that the insurance adjuster who was there didn't have that information. And that's gonna drastically impact the value of the case and the settlement. And that individual claims handler can't just pull the trigger on their own. They can make recommendations, but typically they have desk level authority. It could be 25 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand, depends on the individual claims handler. But once they get above a certain number, they have to go to their supervisor for authority. And typically they got to write it up to get that authority and that takes time. Greg, we're, we're gonna get more into that. We're gonna, we need to take a break right now, but uh, when we get back, we're gonna be talking more about what you need to do to prepare the uh, insurance company representative to, uh, to help you. Uh, you're listening to Masters of Dispute Resolution. Our guest is Glenn Barger, and we will be back shortly. Masters of Dispute Resolution would like to thank ADR Services Incorporated, your partner in resolution, and its founder, Lucy Barron, for supporting this podcast. ADR Services is one of the leading providers of alternative dispute resolution in California. Leveraging technology to drive resolution, ADR Services is committed to dynamism in the face of growing client need and an ever-evolving legal climate. Now operating offices in all major legal markets of California, ADR Services provides unparalleled in-person and remote resolution services through its exclusive panel comprised of more than 130 of the most distinguished and talented neutrals across the state, capable of handling challenging and complex mediations, arbitration, and other procedures in every field of law. When you seek the services of a neutral and you want results and satisfied clients, contact ADR Services, www.adrservices.com. 
Welcome back, everyone, to Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io. And we are chatting with Glenn Barger, who is providing you with an insight into the minds of uh, and thought processes of insurance companies. Uh, Glenn, one of the thing that, things that I've found as a mediator is that I, I really appreciate when parties are prepared. Um, and the lack of preparation uh, sometimes, and in insurance cases uh, oftentimes, is as a result of the lack of information being exchanged. Can you please comment on that? Sure, it'd be my pleasure. And actually, I think it's become more challenging for all counsel during COVID to exchange information. I know when I was practicing after a deposition, I would typically talk to the other side and really get a better handle on the claims, on the type of damages they're alleging, make sure I wasn't missing something. Um, but now, as I understand it, those depositions take place online. Um, when the deposition's over, the attorneys don't necessarily speak. And so I think there's a real risk that on both sides that they're missing certain information, a, a key defense um, that the defendant's going to raise at mediation or um, the defense is missing a whole element of damages just because of those missed conversations. So I, I think it's important that people remember to communicate with each other well in advance of the mediation. I think that's helpful. And then again, it's critical to get that information over to the defense side so they can run it up the chain. Plaintiffs can are a little more nimble and they can move a little quicker. I always, my, my latest analogy for insurance companies is, is that big ship that was stuck in the Suez Canal this past year. Right. And it took a good week or two to, to get that thing turned around. Well, on, on a, the right size case, um, it can be very difficult and time consuming to get that ship to turn around. So the sooner you can get them that information, the better. And I know from talking to the really top plaintiff's lawyers out there, and I, I mediate in all areas just because I practiced in all areas. I do bodily injury, real estate, construction, professional liability, employment, um, I litigated it all and I've been mediating it all, but without a doubt, consistently, the top plaintiff's attorneys have no problem laying out their case, providing information um, before they get to mediation. I'm working on a case right now where um, we're now dealing with the excess carrier. It's clearly past the primary carrier. It's a different company, a different adjuster. They brought in their own counsel and it's an issue um, that requires expert testimony. And the plaintiff's attorney is one of the best in town um, upon the request of the defense is providing a summary of their expert opinions now, well in advance of expert designations and um, expert depots so that the defense understands where they're coming from because liability is hotly disputed and they wanna get that information out there so it can be evaluated. And typically when the information's out there, you can get a settlement. Right. Um, when both sides know what the claims are, what the issues are, what the defenses are, that's going to help move the case to resolution before trial. Well, one one of the things that that is is cringeworthy for me as a mediator, and I, I suspect for you, is when you see a plaintiff's brief that comes in, it's confidential. Um, well, 
what what needs to be confidential? I mean, you know, may, maybe uh, don't don't include your demand or don't include, and we can talk about that. But um, in in insurance cases, um, you may want to include your demand in a brief. Yeah, well, I actually think getting out a separate demand in advance is very helpful, and laying it out with exhibits, photos, um, an economist report. Uh, general contractors uh, list of claims in a construction case, get it out in a settlement demand. So again, it can be reported by the defense, passed on to the right people, and they can be prepared for the mediation. I have a little bit different approach on briefs. Um, I'm absolutely fine either way if they're provided or not. I find that there's oftentimes so much hyperbole and argument in briefs that they can offend people before they even get there. <laughs> and I guess I'd rather get that information out the way I think it's best to help lead to a resolution without just inflaming people. Um, I often think to myself when I prepare for mediations that based on the briefs, I really ought to cancel this mediation because we have a zero chance of getting it resolved. But then once you start talking and you actually get into it a few hours later, They've got a settlement and they're exchanging, you know, a draft release. So I don't mind if they don't exchange briefs. And then the other thing is just, it's a walking a tightrope. I know I've said you should provide information, but I also appreciate you may have a smoking gun. You may be concerned about something you just want to hold back for now. I get it. And I think you should work with the mediator to strategize on that. And so I know what some attorneys do, they'll do a brief that they exchange which lays out the information. It's not as aggressive maybe. And then they can do just a, a short confidential brief where they say, here's a witness we have that is, they haven't identified. I'm not ready to disclose it yet, but I wanted to raise it for you. And then I'd like to discuss it with you at the mediation and how best to use it. So that's one option if you don't want to provide it up, up front. Glenn, you, you just raised a, a very interesting, uh, a very interesting point that actually I experienced when I uh, when I was practicing and had a bad faith case, uh, the mediator who I won't name uh, said said to me, well, you know, they've got something on your client uh, and it's really bad, um, but I can't tell you what it is. Uh, and uh, so I said, but, but if it's really bad and you can't tell me what it is and I tell my client, I know what the reaction is going to be. They can't possibly have that anything on. Well, by the way, they did. It was terrible. It was, it was uh, completely devastating to the case, uh, completely impeached my client. And um, there you go. So you don't reveal that kind of thing. But how do you as a mediator handle that situation when you do get some confidential information and you know it's what I would refer to as a trial gotcha? Uh, how do you handle that? Yeah, um, well, when I was practicing a, a mediator that may um, provide confidential information that I told them to the other side was a pet peeve of mine. So I'm overly cautious with information that attorneys provide and they say it's confidential, including just starting with the briefs. I don't share any of the information until I actually confirm that there's nothing in there that I can't discuss with the other side. And now in the Zoom world, I also confirm I can show their exhibits that they've attached to the brief to the other side because I just don't wanna disclose something that the attorney may not want to. And 
times out of 100, it's fine to do it. But in terms of your story, which is all too common, actually, and it's kind of amusing to me, um, I tell them, look, it's not going to do me any good to go in the other room and say they've got something, they've got the gotcha moment on you, unless you tell me I'm allowed to use it and discuss it. Because I think that just frustrates the process. Um, typically, both sides you know, trust each other. There's a level of trust and certainly civility these days, I think is pretty good. But um, just going in and saying something general without specifics just isn't going to help the process. So I tell them I'm not going to use it until they tell me I can provide details. Right. Th things like that can be counterproductive. And and what we're trying to do as mediators is is we are trying to help both sides come closer to the other side's point of view, at least in terms of a number uh, to, to try to get it settled. Um, those kinds of things, uh, I, I think, and I, I, I think you've just confirmed, uh, are counterproductive to that to that process. Uh, we're going to take a break now. And uh, this is Len Levy. I'm on uh, Masters of Dispute Re Resolution, having a very productive conversation with Glenn Barger. And um, we will be back soon. Masters of Dispute Resolution is sponsored by the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. NADN is the premier invitation-only association of civil mediators and arbitrators in the United States, with members in every state of the nation. Only experienced ADR professionals who are widely acceptable to local plaintiff and defense firms are invited to join the Academy's roster. The Academy's website, NADN.org is the most widely visited neutrals database in the world today. With over 40,000 law offices, insurance companies, and corporations visiting our free website annually. Firms can search for neutrals by many criteria including location, case expertise, qualifications, language skills, and most NADN members also publish their available dates, calendars, online making NADN.org the go-to website for law firms wishing to schedule appointments online with their preferred mediators. For more information, please visit www.NADN.org today. This is Len Levy. We're on Masters of Dispute Resolution, and I'm talking with Glenn Barger, who is providing uh, his, his insights on what we need to do to resolve cases involving insurance. Um, Glenn, one of the things that, that we've been talking about is this idea of getting authority. There are, I don't know if it's typical, but at the end of the day, I think there's some expectation that uh, there is going to be a need or there might be a need to obtain more authority than the adjuster might have been given going into the mediation. Uh, can you comment on how that process might work behind the scenes? Sure, and I, I have to say, I feel like that's becoming more common lately where uh, the defense may not show up with enough authority and they actually want, whether it's the attorney or the uh, party themselves or a claims person, 
wants my assistance in giving them or helping them get enough information so they can go back and get authority. But again, it just doesn't happen quickly. So typically what happens is uh, the claims, frontline claims handler gets the information and from the defense counsel, writes it up and submits it to their boss. And their boss has a certain level of authority. And if it has to go up to another level, then that person has to round table it with the next level and so on up the line. And sometimes in a lot of the cases I mediate there, it actually has to go from different companies. So a party may be self-insured for the first half million dollars and they have their own internal guidelines that need to be followed. And then from there, it goes to an insurance company for a primary level of insurance. And then from there, it may go to a separate insurance company for an excess level of insurance. And each one of those companies, it needs to be run through their protocol and system. And sometimes that just takes time. And it's good just to appreciate that and know what information they need. Thinking of a construction case I had recently where the claim was $13 million um, for an apartment complex. And we had to take it step by step to get to a number. The experts met and we narrowed down the delta between the two sides so that then the defense counsel could take it to the claims person at the primary level who was able to get their authority put up. And then from there, the excess level had to get involved and they had to get their authority. And it was a couple month process, but ultimately we got the case settled and the parties didn't have to do all the recipient depots, any expert depots, and ultimately avoided a three month trial. Well, there's there's also, and you, and you uh, injected an, an element in there that you had mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast about excess. Um, there, there are times when, and, and I, I dealt with it uh, in in one context, uh, having to do with a uh, with a products liability matter uh, involving drug uh, manufacture, and um, there was excess not just in terms of uh, excess for a particular policy period, but there were overlapping policy periods, and. Um, when you're dealing with that degree of complexity, uh, I think it just underscores the need to give information to the insurers, the, all of the insurers, uh, as early as possible. Um, and one of the one of the things uh, about this is what what types of information are essential for uh, insurers to have. Well, it really depends on the particular case. Um, in a construction case, they need to know the claims, they need to know the uh, repair protocol, and then what's it gonna cost? And lately, because of everything going on in the world, labor costs, material costs have gone up, and those numbers can shift dramatically. And you need to get that over to the defense as to your claim, so that, again, they can run it up the ladder so another thing to think about is insurance companies typically have to set reserves and they, it, that takes time. And if the reserves aren't set, then they can't actually get formal authority. I know one thing I do is in talking to the parties is try and figure out what kind of time they'll need to go back and make their evaluation. 
And oftentimes I do make mediators proposals and as part of it, there's a deadline on it. And I really try and be reasonable on it because I always tell the plaintiffs, I don't want this to fail simply because we didn't give them enough time to run through their process. And so whatever's critical to them, whether it be a liability, a damage issue, a witness, and also in a lot of these cases, I deal with there's coverage issues, recognize those coverage issues and do what you can to help create coverage. Um, my mediation yesterday was a single family home, $13 million home in Newport Beach. And uh, my sense from the plaintiff was they actually are just so upset about the their construction experience that they don't want to settle the case. They want to put the builder out of business and they've tried to plead away from coverage so that they can just put the builder on the hook. Most plaintiff's attorneys are trying to create coverage, recognize it, and will actually even, I ask them to provide a, what's called like the resultant damage package in a construction case where they provide information of resultant damage and that's what's covered under the policy so that the carrier can get that, look at it, and again, get authority and get the case out. Uh, in terms of uh, insurance, when you're talking about uh, a construction case, for example, um, you may have, uh, as I did a number of years ago, I mediated one that it involved professional liability issues of the broker on, on disclosures um, uh, and, and coverage for that, then coverage for the alleged defects, uh, then uh, coverage for um, uh well, there, there were other coverage issues and there were, um, so you, you, you're having to, in, in effect, mediate a number of levels of, uh, of disputes, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And in that situation, I think it's important to recognize it. And you don't ever really want a party just sitting around doing nothing for a day. And so sometimes when I, I look the case over, I talk to counsel, I tell them, you know, we need to have just a defense only mediation where we discuss these coverage issues or we discuss allocations to subcontractors. And like the example you gave, there may be a, a design component and there's a separate design policy. And there's also a general liability policy. And then maybe some of it is self-insured or builder's risk. All those things are, are complex and take time to sort through. And I just don't ever want the plaintiff, just especially an actual plaintiff party to get frustrated because they feel like nothing's happening and no one's offering them any money. So I'll just cut them loose or tell them we're gonna have a day without you so we can tee it up and then talk about your issues. Right. And look, we're gonna we're gonna uh, return in just a moment. We're gonna get into uh, the issue of settlement demands. Uh, there are, there's a lot of thought that should go into uh, settlement demands, especially when you're dealing with uh, complex litigation of the type that uh, Glenn has just been describing. Uh, but even in the more, uh, even in the simpler cases, when you're dealing with maybe two parties, uh, one insurer, uh, what that settlement demand might be is, is important. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. I'm Len Levy, and we're on podclips.io. This is Masters of Dispute Resolution. Most attorneys need professional liability coverage, but very few are professional liability experts. And there's so many options when it comes to legal malpractice insurance. 
How do you know how much coverage you need? What should your policy limits be? What if you've had a past claim? You shouldn't have to take time away from helping your clients to research professional liability coverage. And with lawyer-specific insurance brokerage on your side, you won't have to. They're professional liability experts. Shop California's leading professional liability carriers to find your firm the right coverage at the right price. Lawyer-specific founders Alan Debbie Hernandez have over 50 years combined experience working with the highest rated providers of lawyers' professional liability insurance. So trust the brokerage with access to over 40 carriers in California and find a cost-effective malpractice insurance solution for your firm. Go to lawyerspecific.com and click request a quote. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy and my guest is Glenn Barger. Uh, Glenn, when we last broke, uh, we were talking about uh, multi-party uh, and very complex uh, insurance types of litigation and, and mediations. Uh, what, what I'd like to talk about now is the idea, even in, a, in the simplest of, of mediations, when you have one party who may have been injured in a traffic accident and you have an insurer, um, or you know, it could be a slip and fall, whatever, whatever it is. Um, the settlement demands. I mean, I, I, I will give you one example. Uh, I, I received a mediation brief. Uh, unfortunately, it was the night before at ten o'clock. Um, always appreciated. Uh, and uh, the the mediation brief had a three million dollar settlement demand in it. The uh, when I got to the mediation, I uh, asked the plaintiff's attorney uh, if he knew what the policy limits were, and he he hadn't really had that in mind. The policy limits were three hundred thousand. I had a conversation with him, and he and he said, "Oh, okay, no, it's not going to be three million. It's going to be three hundred thousand." So I I was a little less than impressed with the a degree of thought that went into that that demand. Can you can you give people some tips in terms of of what should what thoughts should go into a settlement demand? Well, certainly if it's insurance involved, the limits are are critical, and that's an amusing story. But I actually think it happens all too often. Um, the settlement demands are critical and. I think it starts with, for me, rule one on page one when you're mediating a case is maintaining your credibility. And, and that also helps the mediator maintain their credibility when they go in the other room and make an argument. So make sure you have a basis for it. And then meanwhile, you wanna do a number that puts their feet to the fire because if a case is clearly not worth six figures, let alone seven figures, and you start with a high seven figure demand, well, it's going to make it easy. And in fairness, if you start with an offer and a seven-figure case of $5,000, well, that's going to make it easy too. My general philosophy, though, is I don't get too worked up over opening demands and opening offers. Because you mean the insult rounds? Yeah, it's <laughs> so far apart. What I really want to know is are we going to get in the same ballpark and settle the case? But if you can do a a reasonable demand. I actually think you aim a little high because it's much easier to come down, provide some backup for it, get it to them in advance. That'll help move your case to resolution much more quickly. Um, if you start at just a crazy number, and oftentimes it's 
fairly common. I, I see that there was a 998 for 100 and, or let's say it's a, it's a million dollar policy. So a 998 for $999,000, which I've seen before. And then though we get to mediation, that demand or the 998 has expired and they bump their demand up to $12.2 million because they're gonna argue there's a open policy now. Um, obviously, if, if the case is worth that, that's great. And whether a policy is open or not is a very strategic thing, which I think the plaintiff's bar has gotten very good at utilizing. Um, but if the case isn't worth anywhere close to that, you already know that the defense has said they're not gonna pay 999,000. I think it hurts the process if you go backwards by increasing your demand. And again, same thing for the defense. If you've made an offer, then don't go backwards and start at a lower number, unless there's a reason for it. A new witness has come out and that's changed the facts. Um, on the plaintiff side, your client's gotten surgery or you've now found out that there was a roof issue, a leak in the roof, and that wasn't considered before. Well, then that's different. But if there's nothing changed, then don't go backwards because I think it's only going to make it more difficult to settle the case. Right. And, and in terms, you've mentioned uh, uh, giving, providing uh, the, the basis for the demand. Uh, one of the things that, that uh, I've, I found very, very useful is if you are going to be giving whatever your demand is, provide the, the backup for it. Uh, this is, for example, this is a case where there, uh, you might even provide a, a jury verdict information. Uh, what other types of information do you think would be helpful in terms of backup for a demand? No, that, that's a really good point. I've done some um, fairly factually challenged, you know, just sad sexual abuse cases. And they're difficult to come up with a number and a value and each one's different. And I think any information that can be provided to the, I guess it flows both directions. Um, you know, other verdicts or settlements in that same venue, um, similar aged uh, parties, um, similar medical or, or psychological treatment and bills, anything that puts it in the same realm that's helpful to your case to help the other side evaluate where the numbers are. I truly believe most attorneys are, 99% of them are excellent lawyers. They know what they're doing. They can evaluate their case if the right information is available. And so if you can get that information out there, like verdicts and settlements, an expert report, um, a doctor, if you've got a surgery recommendation and that hasn't come out yet, get that surgery recommendation over to the other side, because obviously that's going to impact the value of the case. Anything that impacts liability or damages that, again, you don't, you're comfortable getting it out there. It's not some smoking gun that you want to hold back for any reason. Every top attorney I ever speak to says, get it to the other side. I'm not hiding anything. I'm going to lay it out. You know, I'll try the case. And so here's the information. And now you need to reasonably evaluate it. Let's get it resolved. And that works both ways, right? I mean, that's not just the plaintiff providing information to get more money from the carrier. Hundred percent. Yeah, the defense. If they've got a good defense, or frankly, if they've got even a coverage defense, or their client has no assets, um, that should be given to the other side so they can evaluate it and work with their clients to manage expectations 
so that ultimately you can get to a reasonable resolution for both sides. So the cases that go to trial are the ones where one side is just way off on it. And or at least that's my opinion. And uh, obviously there's a reason that cases go to trial and that's what courts are for. But for the most part with the information's exchanged and good attorneys on both sides, you typically can get within the same ballpark and get a case settled. Yeah, often what I'll hear from the defense side is, well, we just don't believe they're going to need the surgery. Or we just don't believe that this is going to, um, th- that that he, this has really impacted them uh, enough. How, how do you handle that as a mediator? Again, I get as much specific information as I can. I mean, if someone, just real simple uh, example, because we're not, we're running out of time here, but if someone doesn't have a disc herniation and they literally just have soft tissue stuff, saying you're going to get surgery is not going to help. But if they do have a six millimeter disc bulge that wasn't there before the accident in the cervical area, then there is a good likelihood they're going to have to have surgery. And so that is something they should evaluate reasonably. And I'll just give them my take on it. I tell people what I think, good, bad, or otherwise, both sides, and hopefully help them reach a reasonable resolution. Right. Well, Glenn, unfortunately, we are we have run out of time. And and uh, before we go, though, how best can people uh, contact you? Yeah. Um, well, certainly through ADR services and Evie Thorsten's there, but anyone's welcome to call me. I have to say I get two, 300 emails still a day, and I really try and focus on what I'm doing when I'm mediating every day. Um, so I don't look at emails and so, and frankly, sometimes I don't look at them for a couple of days. I do look at text messages. I've got two daughters and they'll text me and I'd like to hear from them. Um, so I tell people if it's something urgent, text me or just call my, my assistant, Evie Thorstens, and she'll set up a time. I do conference calls at 8, 8.30 every morning and she can set up a conference call and uh, we go from there. Well, th- thank you. Thank you so much, Glenn. Uh, I really appreciate this and, and hope we're going to be able to do this again in, in the future. Uh, thank you, Daryl Wayne, uh, engineer and producer. And uh, I'm Len Levy. This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io, powered by Infogen Labs, Inc. And in the meantime, until we our next podcast Stay well, keep listening, and remember, peace of mind is enhanced when conflicts are resolved. If you wish to contact Len Levy, you can reach him through his email at lslevy at adrservices.com, through Len's website, lenlevymediate.com, telephone him at 818-903-5562, or contact his case manager at ADR Services, 213-683-1600.